Howdy, everybody. It's time for another podcast of Thinking Beyond, conversations with strategic thinkers. And I'm David Flint. And across the table from me is my co-host, who is always here, Joan Cantana. Howdy, Joan. Howdy, David. And down at the other end of the table is our faithful producer, Will Walker. Howdy, Will. Howdy, David. Okay. So today we have another fun podcast. Who is it, Joan? So today, great conversation with Christine Zorek. She is with Four Foods Group out of Utah, but I think just as interesting, she is a former student of yours, and so we'll get to hear about that. Yeah, this is kind of a common theme, though, on the podcast. I, How many former students have I had on podcasts now? I don't More know. than a handful. They just yeah. seem to be coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, which is kind of fun. I'm, I'm enjoying reconnecting with former students who are finding me because of the book and the V-Real framework and all. So. I think one of the reasons they're finding you is because you taught the V-Rail framework over the years, and it's stuck. And so when they see it popping up, they are sort of ignited in their interest again, and they remember, oh, V-Rail, that, that, that works for me. And I think we'll hear that today from, from Christine in this conversation. Okay, well, let's go ahead and start our conversation with Christine. Let's go. Okay, howdy, Christine. Hi, David. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> good. How are you today? So good. Good. So you're out there in, among the beautiful mountains surrounding Salt Lake City and calling in today. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. You know, you've got a very interesting story and I am I'm glad that you're willing to share it with the people out there in the podcast world who listen to podcasts. So thanks for doing this today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be reconnected with you after... A few years, I guess, apart. <laughs> yeah, it's been a few years. Your class. So, no, I, I really appreciate being here today. That brings up a good point. Yeah, let's tell people how we originally met. So I'll, I'll let you kick off that story, and maybe I'll just interject some details <laughs> once in a while. Okay. So I was your student at Utah Valley University back in the day, a I think we pinpointed probably winter semester of 2005. Yeah. Just a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, just a few. <laughs> and, yeah, it was the final kind of, you know, business strategy class in the program. And I remember volunteering to be your note-taker in class mm-hmm. before we had very good, probably, note-taking technology, and I was still handwritten. So I did that because I wanted to make sure I was focused in class and that I was also learning. But one of the things that stood out to me is that, and what I appreciated most about you above any of the other professors at UVU when I went, was that you actually told us at some point during the class that if we compared a UVU student to like an Ivy League student or grad, the only difference was the network and that Ivy League grads were paying for a network. But we needed to consider ourselves just as competent and intelligent and, I guess, you know, have the ability to go out and create amazing businesses or, you know, do well in, in whatever field we chose. And that resonated with me. Good. Because, you know, I had initially planned on transferring to a different school after my general EVU and then I ended up staying, but I appreciated that, I think, most about your class 
other than be real. <laughs> well, good. I'm, I'm glad that lesson stuck. I do think that people very often fall into a trap of thinking that just because they don't have the same background, the same initial opportunities as some other people that somehow or other that makes them a lesser person and, and less capable and everything. And so I'm very glad that you heard that lesson and that it stuck with you. But then you mentioned that V-Real stuck with you. Why did V-Real stick with you? I think because it is so easy to use, but it's also all-encompassing. I've actually heard other kind of business strategy professors speak, and they've, you know, shared kind of their original ideas on on how to assess, you know, strategy or plan for strategy within an organization. But they're not fluid, they're discombobulated, they're missing pieces. And for me, V-Real is all-encompassing, but it's also very easy to plug in and use. It's extremely easy to explain. People can pick up on it right away, but... I have yet to find something, you know, within the problem that we're trying to solve or how we're trying to map something out within the V-Real framework that just doesn't have a place. It, it all fits very nicely. That's great. <laughs> I, I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed that you remembered and I'm impressed that you were able to, to say that that well so quickly there. But that is a big hope for the V-Real framework is that it is a very simple but very powerful tool. So, okay, we we go back a long way, but how did you reconnect with the V-Real framework through the book and get to where we are today? So, funny story, um, and I hope you're okay with me sharing this, <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I'm active on LinkedIn, and... I noticed a post about the book, and I noticed Joan's name attached to it, and then I started looking into it, and I saw that you had a podcast, so I listened to the first podcast with yourself, Joan, and Jose, and as I was listening to the podcast, I was so excited that Joan had essentially, I don't want to say forced, but had... <laughs> <laughs> strongly, strongly encouraged you to publish on V-Real because in your class I remember saying one day maybe I'll publish on this but also knowing you from class you don't subscribe to marketing tactics <laughs> and you <laughs> your mind is not wired that way and you don't care <laughs> and so I knew that <laughs> if you were ever going to publish on this you, someone was going to, to help you do that and so once I saw things on LinkedIn starting to pop up about it and then I listened to the first podcast I was so excited and I actually pre-ordered the book on Amazon I think it was that day once I saw the post on, on LinkedIn I jumped on Amazon and pre-ordered the book so I was just really excited because that honestly is something that stuck with me through all of these years as I've you know worked through different organizations and different kind of HR roles it's just it resonated with me and it it stuck with me well thank you for pre-ordering the book <laughs> and uh yeah apparently you you got me pretty well down there i i don't do marketing very well i have great respect for people who can do marketing and yes joan and others have greatly encouraged me almost forced me <laughs> to get out there and put the v-roll framework out in the world so I'm, I'm glad that you saw that and i'm glad that you picked up on it so you just mentioned that you know you've been in the hr profession for a number of years now. And 
you can also tell a pretty good story about how you then got in touch with me about using V-Real. So I'm going to let you tell that story too. Okay. So yes, I've been in the HR profession for a number of years and it just progressed. And I tell people, I don't know if HR found me or if I found it because I graduated in you know, my degrees in business management. And I didn't necessarily intend to go into HR, even though I was interested in employment law and things. But my career has just evolved that way. And even though it's evolved into HR, you know, my core belief about HR is that we are business professionals and HR is a, is a value, should be, you know, as a, a um, department that creates value for the organization. It should be a profit center. And... And with that mentality, I had a conversation with the former SHRM president in Salt Lake just because our organizations similarly were going through mergers and acquisitions. So as we started to kind of have conversations about that and how it applies to HR and, um, you know, lessons learned of best practices, she was also on the board for Disrupt, which Disrupt is and I, I guess you can say an HR movement that's happening now throughout cities where they're trying to bring, you know, thought leaders together to help change, you know, a general negative stereotype about HR and really move HR forward into the future so it, it can be a profit center for organizations. So as she and I spoke, she asked if I wanted to speak for the Disrupt event in Salt Lake, which was in May. And, you know, I was excited for the invite and told her yes. And then I ended up speaking with another member of the board from Disrupt independently. He also asked if I would want to speak at it. So once once we got that worked out, um, I had to compile my ideas for for the presentation. But it, you know, it holds true to the name. It's supposed to be disruptive and a little edgy. And I thought, you know, what's what's more edgy than saying, you know, HR is a profit center. And, you know, I kind of dove into the M&A rat hole and made some pointed statements about, you know, what we need to be doing on the M&A side to actually sustain value after the deals close and how females should be more involved from that side just because if we look at, you know, venture capital, only I think 4% of decision makers at the VC level are, are female. And so in certain ways, we're missing the mark. But the way that V-Real ties into that is if HR is a profit center, we absolutely have to be strategizing just like any other department is in the organization. And how do we do that? It's through V-Real. What's the value or how is value generated by the rareness, the eroding, enabling factors, and longevity. And it, it worked in perfect because essentially that was the message that I started with. Let's look at generating value for our HR department by identifying what's rare within the organization and how do we tailor our HR activities to that rareness so that not only is the company more... I guess, agile with its specific needs, but that the HR department is also very rare in what it offers so that we don't become an eroding factor for the organization, but that we're, like you said, David, earlier, a key enabling factor for the organization and really supporting its strategy and vision. And so, you know, we tie all of that together and now the company is more sustainable plugging in that longevity piece from V-Real. Yeah, I really like the way that you're taking V-Real and plugging it into the HR functions. And it's 
it's kind of funny you didn't mention, but you you kind of called me out a little bit when you when you got back <laughs> in touch with me. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can... I can call you out again right now. <laughs> I can do it. Well, that's so, okay. You can yeah, do that. When I read your book, literally in the first or second paragraph, you know, in the introduction, you talk about how organizations are not using their HR departments or HR directors strategically, you know, to kind of solve the need or help drive the needs of the business. And then, you know, you go on a couple pages later to list who be real and who the book is for, but then you don't name HR. <laughs> and so that was my first, you know, kind of correspondence with you after you wrote the book was, hey, you're saying that HR plays a key role in this, but then you're not saying it's for us, so what's up? And um, then the conversation started, and here we are today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, I didn't, I didn't no, mean... No, it's okay. Like you said, it could have been an all-inclusive list, right? Yeah. But... Yeah. And, and that is... One of the things that I, I hope people get about Be Real is that it can be applied in a lot of different areas. But I'm very glad that you started the, the conversation with me again about how to most effectively use this in an HR context within organizations. And you just made some really good points talking about how HR can become a very critical enabling factor for the larger organizational ability to create value and be rare in the marketplace. If you can identify things that really are rare about that combination of HR functions and the strategy of the organization and HR supporting that, you know, ultimately what you're creating goes even beyond being an enabling factor and being a key competency for the organization, maybe even a distinctive competency in the marketplace. So the fact that that you pushed me a little bit on that and got me dialoguing with you and all, I'm really glad that you did that. And I, I hope if anybody's listening to the podcast from an HR background, that they can pick up on what we're talking about here and how important that might be in their own organizations. So go ahead and, and talk a, bit, a little bit. I know that we've talked earlier, but now that we're recording and people are, are going to hear you, talk a little bit about how you are trying to do that in your own organization. Yeah, so I have, you know, we have an HR team and really great people on it. At Four Foods Group, we're, we're rapidly growing. You know, we're, we're bringing in, we're acquiring a lot of smaller, fast, casual restaurants just based on, you know, our business kind of model. And as we've done that, we've, we've had to be very agile and have the ability, you know, for rapid change and growth. And so because of that, what I'm focusing with on my team is that I'm developing business professionals. We have a generally young workforce. I would say 65% of our workforce is below the age of 26, and that's reflected on my team as well. And so as, as I'm providing stretching and growth opportunities for them, I'm molding business professionals because HR is a profession within the business and really trying to create a, a new positive, I guess, stereotype for HR. And so as we focus on that within our organization, our goal is 100% compliance. And we do that by being proactive, identifying what are the unique needs and challenges of our workforce among our different restaurant brands and tailor trainings to them so that we can combat compliance issues before they even start. 
And we've initiated V-Real in those discussions because essentially, you know, that's what's driving our decisions, even though the HR goal is 100% compliance. We can look at the value that we're generating based off of actually being able to focus on these preventive measures and strategic measures to become a profit center for the company instead of just getting lost in the weeds and always, you know, handling investigations or benefit issues. Let's be forward thinking about it. And so as the team, we look at what are our eroding factors and how do we convert those into enabling factors or can we eliminate an eroding factor if we can't convert it to an enabling factor and really focusing on our our longevity than the organization when we were talking earlier I said you know I'm kind of hyper aware or acutely aware that HR is one of those resources that could be outsourced in a business and you know walking in the door every day I don't want my department to be outsourced because I, I know that in a way, you know, the rareness that we provide this organization, we can hone into the needs and actually generate value based off of those needs and the unique challenges versus those remaining and eroding factor for the organization. You know, when we spoke actually quite a while ago when you were preparing for the Disrupt SLC conference and all, I remember us talking about the fact that you have to integrate workforces together because you're involved in a lot of mergers and acquisition activity. And it it just strikes me that, you know, you I would not recommend trying to outsource that process. <laughs> you know, you're trying to bring people from a, a an organization that has had a particular way of doing things and thinking about things into your company and your culture and your processes and your ways of thinking about things. And my goodness, is there an opportunity there for you to develop something that is difficult and rare to do in the marketplace of figuring out how to bring those different groups of people with different ways of thinking, different histories and everything together to create value for the company as a whole. That strikes me as, as being a really critical function. You're right, David. I totally agree. It's it's so true. We need, you know, as I've researched acculturation models, assimilation really is the high point of bringing cultures together. So, I mean, a lot of people kind of talk about integrating cultures, but it's really at the kind of assimilation point where the philosophies become the same, the mindsets become the same. And, you know, the host culture and kind of, you know, this kind of home culture, they're very different. And we don't know, typically, you know, in mergers and acquisitions before the PSA is signed, where the alignment is or where the misalignment is. And that's our goal is, you know, to be able to analyze and really know exactly where these host cultures are at. We consider ours the home culture where the host cultures are at. So as we move towards close date, we're already being proactive and strategic about assimilating the two cultures together. You know, I also know that you involved your CEO in that Disrupt Salt Lake City uh, HR conference. I've got a, a question for you, which we really haven't talked about prior to right now. And that is, have you found it easier to talk with your executives about HR and the company and everything by introducing the the concepts and the terminology of V-Real? Much, yes, much easier. And it's funny because 
even at the uh, director level, we have a director's meeting every other week, and this was probably a month ago now, but one of the directors started talking about eroding factors and enabling factors, and, and a debate and a conversation ensued, but I was able to kind of interject and bring the conversation around to we're strictly talking about value here, and this is how, you know, his comments about eroding and enabling factors are playing into this. And we also need to look at rareness, and we also need to look at longevity. And so it was really interesting because it directly tied in, and I don't think I said, okay, now I'm using the D-Rail framework, <laughs> but, but we were able to have a conversation about that and enhance the conversation from the original comment about eroding and enabling factors. But it, to your point, it's also been much easier to speak to my CEO about it generally. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been huge. Good. That's good to hear. Okay. So I, I want to make sure that I give you the opportunity to bring up any issues or, or questions about how you are using VReal or, or my thoughts about how you're using VReal. So I do want to give you an opportunity to just sort of hit me with any questions or ideas that you um, have come up with while you're trying to make this happen. Yeah. Thanks. I think what weighs most on my mind is how do we change the general negative stereotype of HR? Because it's I think it's so ingrained in the business world. You know, you as a professor, but then also, you know, a consultant, you've helped many entrepreneurs get their businesses off the ground to where they're running sustainably and very valuable. How would you recommend HR as a profession plug in VReal? to create now a positive stereotype that gets us into the future? Well, the first thing that, that comes to my mind is at a very basic level, your business doesn't work without good human capital. It just doesn't. You know, you may have the greatest business model, you may have the greatest products and services, but if you don't have the human capital to interface with customers to to make sure that the processes are working properly uh, to make sure that relationships are developed properly you know the, the wrong human capital simply makes a company fall apart and I have seen that numerous times unfortunately where a company that should work an organization that should work doesn't because it simply cannot manage the human capital properly so right there at the beginning I would say, you know, your HR department is a key, key enabling factor for being able to put in place your ability to create value and be rare in the marketplace. You can have the greatest idea, the greatest business model, but you can kill it with bad HR, with bad management of human capital. So right from the get-go, I mean, that's, that's sort of a base level view of me about HR and human capital. But going beyond that base level view, I think, and this speaks to what you're trying to do, I think if, if people understood that you can create socially complex relationships inside of organizations between the people who are developing strategy for the organization as a whole and the people who are managing the human capital inside the organization. And so you can do 
what you are suggesting to do here, which is create something that is unique, something that is tailored to the needs of that company's strategy, and it can support the rareness of that strategy in its competitive environment. And so taking HR from beyond just being an enabling factor and being a a key component of a bundle of competencies to create a distinctive competency in the marketplace, I think is something that you should strive for. And I think it's something that's probably far more doable than many people realize and far more applicable in many different situations than people realize. So when I when I think about HR and I think about VReal, I, I do see a very strong fit there. A fit in terms of at the very basic level being an enabler and then at a higher level being a part of a competency bundle that creates true distinctive competency in the marketplace. So those are my thoughts in general about using VReal and how that applies to HR. Okay. Thank you. It's so relevant, too. I'm, I'm glad that, that you shared that and see that. So. But I also know that, you know, because we've, we've talked, I also know that you have a perspective about HR and the C-suite and the HR profession. And I, I do want you to share those with the people who are listening to this podcast because I, I think they're, they're good insights. So just share what you have shared in the past with me about that interaction with the C-suite and also the profession as a whole? Okay. You know, what I really hope to see HR professionals do is understand this impact that they can have, right? That they can be a very distinctive competency their department can be for the organization, but that's not going to happen if they're not stepping up to work with the C-suite and and sharing that value and being, you know, a partner in in that strategy. And I think HR professionals generally just need to kind of look up from all of the compliance that that they're working with. And, you know, that's a worthy pursuit, but it doesn't need to take all of their time, and it really shouldn't. And, and so that's, you know, just generally my hope for the profession is that they will essentially legitimize themselves by applying the VRail framework, recognizing themselves as, you know, an important contributor to where the organization wants to go. And, you know, one thing that I've really appreciated about speaking at Disrupt FLC is kind of gaining more of an admiration for it and seeing the potential in what the disrupt movement is doing within the cities. And I, I really hope to see it become you know, a, a very big national movement because we need to drive HR that way. We need to move kind of the needle, as you know, people talk about, towards creating HR departments within organizations as these profit centers and uh, key enabling factors, but then also finding that sweet spot to become a distinctive competency. And, you know, I, I definitely know it's possible, but we need more people out there that are driven to help kind of drive that disrupt movement for it versus, you know, just being kind of generally institu- institutionalized in, in an older profession, but we need to kind of regenerate that and, and create this new profession out of it. And it strikes me, listening to you say that, that you as a as a person have an opportunity to create 
kind of a distinctive competency for yourself in the profession by being a proponent of that and, and getting involved and helping your fellow HR professionals begin to develop that mindset. It seems to me like you have the opportunity here to create some real value and rareness in the profession just as an individual, maybe in positions of leadership or as an influencer or maybe a, a disruptor. <laughs> well, you're very, very kind. I, I appreciate that. I hope, you know, I can continue to share the message and, and motivate, you know, my colleagues and, and even, you know, executives at the CC level and also, you know, executives within finance and finance teams to, to, to see that, you know, how positively disruptive HR can be. I do want to allow you to give the people who are listening to the podcast some contact information for you in case there are people who would like to have a, a longer conversation with you about what you're saying here. So if people want to get in touch with you, how should they do that? I am on LinkedIn. You can certainly connect with me there. Um, do you want me to spell my name? Uh, <laughs> might be a, it might be a good idea. <laughs> okay. First name is Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. Last name is pronounced Zorik, but you'll want to write this down. It's W-Z-O-R-E-K. So I'm on LinkedIn just with my simple name, or you can email me, Christine, at fourfoodsgroup.com. Those are probably the best ways to, to get hold of me. Okay, and fourfoodgroup.com is spelled out in letters, no numbers or anything? Correct. Uh-huh. And foods is plural. Okay. So Christine at fourfoodsgroup.com or Christine Zorek on LinkedIn. Is there anything else at this point that um, you would like us to talk about as we are drawing to a close in the podcast? You know, I am hoping to continue the conversations with yourself and Joan. It's been very impactful for me to to reconnect with you David and just balance ideas off of you and you both were so kind and so nice when I was preparing the disrupt presentation because my ideas were all over the place <laughs> I remember that first call I was like whoa um, it was a little much just because there is there is a lot that that I want to say, and Joan, to your point, there's a lot that I need to publish on, but you've just been so beneficial for me and have really helped kind of create the value for me in this, so I just want to say thank you for that. It's been huge. Well, you're very welcome. We have enjoyed communicating with you about this, and I'm, I'm glad that you kind of called me out on the HR stuff, that maybe <laughs> I could have said a little bit more about that. But yeah, it's been fun for us as well and, and good. So I'm, I'm happy that you reached out and reconnected after quite a few years. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it's been awesome. Well, okay. Once again, I really am glad that you took the time to talk to us today. And thanks for being on the podcast. And for those who are listening, Christine has some really interesting ideas about HR. So if you're an HR professional, feel free to contact her and continue that conversation. Thanks, Christine. And we'll wrap it up for today. Okay. Thank you, David. All right. Bye. 
Well, that was a great conversation. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I enjoyed talking with Christine. She brought back some interesting memories as we talked prior to recording and then while we were recording. Yeah, there were some good days when I taught there at Utah Valley University a long time ago. You know, I really enjoyed listening in on this conversation. I was taking copious notes. Yeah, I noticed Scribbling that. over here. <laughs> and, and I think part of that is because what we've done on this particular podcast is focus in on a particular profession, and that's HR, right? Human resources. And I don't think we've done that before on the podcast so much. Not really. We're usually talking about a particular business or business idea or a person or a not-for-profit, you know, kind of the organizational context or or maybe the person, him or herself, mm-hmm. um, and relating V-Real to those kinds of contexts. So yeah, this, this probably is the first podcast that's been kind of profession focused or functional area focused. It is, I think. And then listening to Christine, and of course, we've had the opportunity to visit with her over the last few months and talk her through some some of her ideas about applying V-Real to the HR profession and for her colleagues. And that's been very interesting, but I really appreciate her passion and her insights. And also the fact that after quite a few years, Viral has stuck in her head. And clearly, she's been using this framework to think things through. And she's a very strategic thinker. But also, the way she's sort of on fire at this point to to help her colleagues in the HR profession apply Viral to HR as a discipline or as a profession. And, and she made some really good points. And I think, you know, trying to summarize that here at the end, Probably one of the biggest points is the fact that HR is often seen as just this this cost sink in organizations. You know, we've got to do this, we've got to comply with all of the laws and all, you know, and we gotta keep people happy. And it's just it's just this sort of, you know, drudgery cost that we have to do. And HR does not need to be that way. You know, at the very least, as I as I said talking to Christine. At the very least, HR, the management of people, the the bringing forth of the right human capital and everything at the right time to do the right things is a, is a key enabler that is going to enable you to create value for the organization as a whole and implement the way to, to put your strategy in place. I mean, at the very least, it should be thought of that way, not just as a cost. Right. And I think certainly Christine has demonstrated that she thinks of it at the very least, and she's thinking using V-Roll to help communicate the value and the potential value of HR within the organization. She's she's using V-Roll to start a conversation, and, and she talked about the fact that her colleagues are, are using V-Roll to, to, they're referencing enabling factors and eroding factors and, and things like that, and how they're using V-Roll to, to enrich the, the dialogue and to clarify strategy. And so, I think that the value of that for facilitating communication is wonderful within any organization, but especially for HR to be able to bring that tool to the table and start the conversation with the C-suite, start the conversation at the director level, whatever level of the organization makes sense, depending on the organization. But how incredibly valuable is it that you have a common set of terminology to use to talk about something as important as strategy within an organization. But then even more important than that, when we're talking about HR, is to really consider how much more can HR be for an organization? Yeah, and it can be much more. Now, I'm, I'll make a comment here, and it's a general comment. And you know, my area of specialty is not 
HR. So, you know, for my academic HR colleagues out there, if I'm, you know, saying the wrong thing, okay, call me out on it. But but my observation, standing sort of on the sideline looking at the HR profession, is that for more than 20 years, I have been hearing about strategic human resource management and seeing that what that tends to focus on is defining job roles really well, job characteristics really well, and then strategically finding the right people to fit those jobs. So it's talking very much about the right ways to define jobs, the right ways to select people, how to assess people ahead of time so that you make the right selections. And all that is really good. I mean, you want to to understand what the roles of jobs are and you want to find the right people for those and things will be better if you do that. So yes, that is being strategic about human resource management. But it could be more in a larger sense, thinking at a higher level of strategy for the organization. Why not talk about how HR can manage that human capital to become part of the distinctive competency of the organization to develop socially complex relationships between the people in the organization, between the people in the organization, outside the organization, so that you are supporting the larger strategic goals of the organization to create value and be rare in the marketplace. That involves having to think at a little bit higher level. It involves having to talk with the C-suite people. It involves the C-suite people seeing HR as being something other than just something that you have to do. So when I think about you know, strategic human resource management as I understand it today in academia, I kind of think eh, there could be more. And I think that's what's so exciting about Christine's passion because she definitely sees the role of HR as a strategic role within the organization. And she's challenging her team within her organization to really be part of the whole strategy for the organization and to contribute in a way that HR does become a profit center. It does become critical to the strategic direction of the organization. And and that's exciting. It's exciting to see this group of professionals. We all know HR professionals. They're they're in all of our organizations. And I think it's a it's a welcome disruption. To kind of stop a minute and say, oh, wait, you know, we can think about this differently. And, and we, we should actually think about this differently because there might be a really big missed opportunity here. Her company in particular, which we did not spend much time talking specifically about her company, but we did bring up the fact that her company does a lot of mergers and acquisitions. And it has to integrate employees coming from one company into another company. And my goodness, how, how important is that to the overarching success of the organization? Absolutely. Is that going to be developing a distinctive competency in the marketplace of understanding how to assess what other cultures are like, understand that, understand how they differ and are like your existing culture, and then figure out how to smooth that transition for everybody? I mean, that mergers and acquisitions are hard. And perhaps, we could debate it, but perhaps the biggest reason why they don't go well is because you can't integrate the other company well into the acquiring company. So I think her company has this opportunity 
to develop a real distinctive competency out there in terms of just being able to do that. And that's an HR function. It is. That development of culture. We talk about that in the book quite a lot. And we've talked about that with with, uh, some of the other podcast guests about how important that culture of whether it's a culture of excellence or just having that common commitment to a particular objective. Culture is so very important and has so much potential to distinguish an organization. And we know some of the biggest, biggest names out there have achieved that. And some of the biggest disasters out there failed to achieve that, right? So that idea of culture, and of course, that that is organization-wide, but it does fall in HR to, to accomplish a, a united culture. And, and I think maybe people think that it comes, that's, that's a branding issue. Well, there's the case right there. It is branding and it is HR, and therefore it should be discussed at the executive level. So the integration of all of those ideas at a strategic level is interesting. And the opportunity to use VRail to help foster that dialogue and conversation to go forward is really interesting. So we talk about some of this in the book. It's going to be you know, really interesting to to put these ideas out there and continue the conversation with Christine. She's she's on fire with these ideas. So I, I imagine we'll be talking with her some more. But if you, the listeners out there, want to learn more about the V-Roll framework and how you can integrate that into your own processes, think about yourself personally or your organizations, the book is called Think Beyond Value, Building Strategy to Win. It's out there. It's all of your favorite booksellers online. So you can get it. You can also visit drdavidflint.com. There's some resources that are available for download there. There's even a summary, a free book summary there that you can, or sample that you can download. And of course, you can follow Dr. David Flint on LinkedIn and and Twitter. So we would encourage you to do that. And of course, keep listening to the podcast. Okay. Well, it was another good conversation with another good strategic thinker. So for all of you who are listening out there, I hope that maybe this has given you something to think about, especially if you're in the HR profession. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, Until the next conversation with a good strategic thinker, all of you out there, just keep thinking.